Good morning, Sanctuary. My name is Edrin. I'm one of the associate pastors here. Um, and we want to take a moment just to welcome you again into our worship service. Um, if I haven't had a chance to get to know you, uh, we wanna, uh, I look forward to having that opportunity soon um, on behalf of uh, Pastor Rose, Pastor Mike, our elders, the rest of our staff. Thank you all so much for being here today. We are in week two of uh, what I believe will be a six-week series called Threshold. Um, we are um, looking together as the Sanctuary Covenant Church at what God is able to do in periods of in-between. Threshold comes from the Latin word lemon, which points to that period where uh, you're not quite where you're going, but you're definitely not where you used to be. In that in-between period, and we're, the, the word suggests that God is always at work, even in the in-between when it looks like nothing is actually happening, everything is actually happening. And so for the next several weeks, we will consider this theme of threshold together. Last week, we began by looking at our brother Jonah and the ways in which he responded to God's call in his life. And the takeaway from that message was simply this, two words, trust God. That in this season of transition, in this threshold season for us as a church, uh, the significant part of our life together will be shaped by our ability to trust God. And once you have learned to trust God, and as you are learning to trust God, this message today will encourage us to not only trust God, but to turn towards one another. One of the things I shared last week was a graphic where I challenged us over the course of this series to do a few things, to uh, pray, to study the word, and live every day as if a few things about God were true. The first, that God is true and trustworthy, that God is a good and what God wants for you is what's best for you. And that God has given you gifts, talents, and treasures to serve others. And I, I, we put it in the form of a chart because we were asking you to begin to pray, study, and live in light of these few things. And then as you begin to notice things, if you begin to notice questions arising or anxieties coming up or breakthroughs happening, that you would begin to make note of those things so that we might at a later period celebrate how God is working through this series. And so, God, we, we would ask that you would... Uh, Pray, study, and live every day in light of what's there on the screen. These also appear on uh, the Sanctuary Facebook page, and we can put it on the website or make uh, other copies available if you need them. Today we're going to look at our sister Ruth, the book of Ruth in the Old Testament. Um, right after the book of Joshua and Judges, we get to the book of Ruth. And I admit today, um, I'm a little bit nervous. Uh, the first is because I've never heard a male pastor speak from Ruth. Never. I've been in church my entire life, except for that one year as a freshman in college. But we, uh, we won't talk about that again. Um, not right now. Maybe, maybe later. But I've never heard a guy preach from the book of Ruth. It's always our sisters who take us to the book of Ruth and preach there. And so I don't want to be the one guy who tries to preach from the book of Ruth and, and figures out why guys don't preach from the book of Ruth. And so pray for me there. Uh, the second reason, um, I wouldn't say I'm nervous about this part, but the second thing that I do have in my mind, I, I spoke to two uh, folks within our church that I I value and respect their opinion highly, um, asking for some feedback about last Sunday's message. And one of the things that they shared with me is that um, I don't smile enough when I preach. 
Um, yeah, I, I wasn't aware, but I guess I don't. Um, I take preaching very, very seriously. Uh, and so that scowl that you see here, it, it's not you, it's me, I promise. Like, I, I really do love you guys, but I, I take it really seriously. And so sometimes I'm intense as I'm trying to communicate as well as I can what, what I believe God's saying to us. So um, let that be that. Don't think that I don't like you. I love you guys, I promise I do. Uh, but I, I'll try and smile more as well. <laughs> so we'll look together at the book of Ruth now. Uh, Ruth chapter 1, beginning with verse 1, and read through verse 18. In those days, in the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land. So a man from Bethlehem and Judah, together with his wife and two sons, went to live for a while in the country of Moab. The man's name was Elimelech. His wife's name was Naomi. The name of his sons were Milon and Kilian. They were Ephrathites from Bethlehem, Judah. And they went to Moab and lived there. Now Elimelech, Naomi's husband, died. And she was left with her two sons. They married Moabite women, one named Orpha and the other Ruth. After they had lived there about 10 years, both Mylon and Kilian also died. And Naomi was left without her two sons and her husband. Verse 6, when Naomi heard in Moab that the Lord had come to the aid of his people by providing for them, she and her daughters-in-law prepared to return home from there. With her two daughters-in-law, she left the place where she had been living and set out on the road that would take them back to the land of Judah. Then Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, go back, each of you, to your mother's home. May the Lord show you kindness as you have shown kindness to your dead husbands and to me. May the Lord grant that each of you will find rest in the home of another husband. Then she kissed them goodbye, and they wept aloud and said to her, we will go back with you to your people. But Naomi said, return home, my daughters. Why would you come with me? I am, going, am I going to have any more sons who could become your husbands? Return home, my daughters. I am too old to have another husband. Even if I thought there was still hope for me, even if I had a husband tonight and then gave birth to sons, why would you wait until they grew up? Would you wait until they grew up? Would you remain unmarried for them? No, my daughters, it is more bitter for me than for you because the Lord's hand has turned against me. Verse 14, at this they wept aloud again. Then Orpha kissed her, her mother-in-law goodbye, but Ruth clung to her. Look, said Naomi, your sister-in-law is going back to her people and her gods. Go back with her. But Ruth replied, don't urge me to leave you or to turn back from you. Where you go, I will go. Where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people, and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die, and there I will be buried. May the Lord deal with me, be it ever so severely, if even death separates you and me. When Naomi realized that Ruth was determined to go with her, she stopped urging her. Lord Jesus, thank you for your word and for the light that it shines on our lives giving us wisdom and hope, helping us to know what it means to be the people of God. Be with us in this message in Jesus' name. Amen. I love teams. I love teams and I love groups. 
I have, over the course of my life, been a part of many different teams, but I had the distinct privilege of being a part of what I believe is the greatest football team to ever be assembled. Not really, but uh, it was my eighth grade football team. There in the low country of South Carolina, this was a young Edrin. I was about 13 at the time. I was mad about something. I don't know. Um, but this football team, my eighth grade team, was an incredible team. We were young. We had a lot of raw talent. Uh, we were not especially skilled, but we were good. We had heart. And we had a coach by the name of Coach C. Coach C was your stereotypical football coach. He loved to wear those short nylon football coat shorts about that high with a big wallet in the back. And he would find all kinds of excuses to like bend over and do all sorts of awkward poses. And as 13 and 14 year old boys, we thought it was hilarious. But Coach C was an incredible coach. And in the midst of teaching us skills and uh, plays and blocking schemes, he taught us that the most important thing we could do was to learn to play for one another. If you miss the play or miss a block, hustle back because you're not just playing for yourself. You're playing for the rest of the team. And so throughout the course of the year, although we were not especially skilled, we won a lot of games because we never quit and we refused to let the other man lose. We went over two years, 16 and 2. We were really good as a football team. And I believe it was primarily because we learned to play for one another. Two years later, this same team had grown more mature. We knew more about the system, but we were not very good. Because by this point, we were more interested in starting than we were winning. We were more interested in becoming regional player of the week in the little newspaper there in my hometown that I'm sure nobody actually read, then we actually were worried about our brother. And when we stopped playing for one another, we also stopped winning. We got embarrassed my sophomore year. We went three and seven. We didn't even make the playoffs. We were not a very good team. Brothers and sisters, I love teams. I love groups. And over the course of my life, I have spent uh, much time as a part of a bunch of different kinds of groups. My fraternity, um, part of uh, becoming brothers together, learning what it meant to look after one another, uh, ministry groups and leadership cohorts and all sorts of groups, mission trip groups and others. I have spent a lot of time in groups and I love them especially when they are functioning well. And what I found to be consistently true is that groups and teams do really well when there's a clear sense of purpose and there is a deep and abiding commitment to one another. You might not be the most talented team. You might not have all the resources other teams had. But when you are deeply committed to one another, your team can be successful. I've had the chance here at the sanctuary to be a part of a very talented team. There are a bunch of great looking people on this picture, but their hearts are even better than they look on the outside. And we've done some cool stuff together as a team. I love the church. 
And in many ways, I see the church as a team, but something much bigger than a team, something much deeper than a team. The church is a family. And when I think about the church, her identity, her purpose, her mission, I am convinced that there is nothing else in the world like the church. When we're functioning at our best, there is an uncommon kindness, a radical kindness that the world looks at us as if we're weird for the way that we care for and love one another. When we're functioning at our best, there is a commitment that we have to one another that does not make sense apart from Jesus Christ. When we're functioning at our best, there is an unswerving fidelity that we will refuse to let each other lose in life because of what Christ has done in our own lives. There's something special about the church. New Testament theologian Stanley Grins describes the church this way. He says, fundamentally, the church of Jesus Christ is neither a building nor an organization. Rather, it is a people, a special people, a people who see themselves as standing in relationship to the God who saves them and to each other, those who share in this salvation. As the early church father Hippolytus declared, it is not a place that is called the church, not a house made of stones and earth. It is the holy assembly of those who live in righteousness. Stated theologically, the church is a people in covenant. Friends, that's the idea I want us to look at today. That idea that the church is a people in covenant. Here in this second message in our Threshold series, we want to offer some wisdom about how we might turn towards one another as a part, as rather than running away from one another. Here's what I know to be true. In life, in seasons of difficulty and transition and despair and disappointment, our natural tendency is to run away from one another. Each of us begins to look to our own well-being and makes decisions for what is best for me, my family, and for those who are just like me. But I believe when we look at the book of Ruth today, together we will realize that God is calling us to the very opposite thing. That in seasons of transition and despair and disappointment, in these threshold moments, God calls us to turn towards one another, to draw closer to one another, even if it would seem more natural to pull away from one another. And so we look together at this story from the book of Ruth. Naomi is a woman who is married to a man named Limelech. And they are experiencing a famine in their hometown. And so as a family, the two of them and their two sons go to a place called Moab. Now, this is a strange story from the beginning because Moab is a place that nobody from Jewish folks, who would, they would never really want to go to Moab. First of all, Moab is a place of incest. The first time we read about Moab in the Bible is when Lot sleeps with one of his daughters and they have a son by the name of Moab. And so these people are not desirable people. They're people that you would stay away from. The second reason this is a strange twist in the story is that the Jewish people have been told to never accept the Moabite people. 
Deuteronomy 23 says that even to the 10th generation, the Moabite people are to be rejected and never allowed to form community with Jewish people. And so they go to Moab. And this is a highly unlikely thing. But because they were in famine, they find relief there in Moab. So they go there and they live there. And Naomi's husband dies. And her two sons marry Moabite women, one by the name of Orpha. I've heard that Oprah Winfrey was supposed to be Orpha, but they misspelled her name and she stuck with Oprah. I'm glad they misspelled her name. So Orpah was one of the daughters. The second daughter was Ruth. Ruth married Naomi's son and became her daughter-in-law. Well, Naomi's husband dies, her two sons die, and Naomi is left there as a widow with two daughters-in-law who are also widows. Friends, this is an incredibly difficult situation. In this time and in this society, an unmarried woman was seen as the lowest rank rung of society. She had no power, no voice. She had no resource unless she came from a family where she was rich independently. She would not be able to function in many of the ways that the other women in society took for granted once her husband died. And so this woman, Naomi, does what she thinks is best. She heard that the conditions in her hometown had gotten better, and she decides to have mercy on her daughters-in-law and tell them, you go back to your family or you go find husbands because you need husbands to take care of you. And their response to her is what I want us to learn from today. Their response is this. First, they both say, we will not leave you. But Naomi keeps pushing them away. And finally, Orpah decides to leave. But Ruth, the second daughter, says what we hear in verse 16. Don't urge me to leave you or turn back from you. For where you go, I will go. And where you stay, I will stay. Ruth decides against her own well-being to stay with Naomi, even when it makes no sense. And this is relevant for us, I believe, today's sanctuary because we are at a transition period. And if you know anything about church, during transitions, many people take that as a cue to slip out the back door. They say it's a good time to go and check out some other churches. Or if you were on the fringes and not really into church, this would be a good time to just slip away. My challenge and reminder to us today is, what if we actually did the opposite? What if we drew closer to one another in transition? What if we actually lived more into our mission and vision during transition? And what if we actually even grew as a church during the transition? Ruth shows a love for Naomi. And the love that she has for her is a self-sacrificial love, a love that doesn't make sense, a love that causes her to give up some of her own rights for the sake of her mother-in-law. And if you have experienced the love of God, that kind of self-sacrificial love, I can't talk, makes sense. She says, I'm going to do what's best for her rather than doing what's best for myself. She shows her kindness Have you known the church to be a kind place? I'll say it again, Christians, we are called to a radical kindness. The world should look at us 
and be suspicious because of how much we love one another. When they look at us, what do they see? Is our reputation in the community that we love each other with such a love that it would draw others in? Ruth has not just a kindness towards her mother-in-law, she has a commitment to them. This passage, especially verse 16, I use it in every premarital counseling session that I do with couples, and I use it in every wedding that I perform. And you've heard from the context today, it really has nothing to do with the wedding. But it has everything to do with commitment. And many of our marriages are about a paper, but not about the promise. Ruth makes a promise to her mother-in-law, not just a legal contract, but a religious promise that I will be here for you even if it costs me everything. And she goes as far as to say, may God curse me or hurt me or harm me if I walk away from you. I would invite us to be as radical as that and say during this season, when there's some change going on, rather than staying away until stuff gets worked out and then hopping back in, why don't we draw towards one another and say, I'm going to stay here. And I'm not going to just stay here to see what happens. I'm going to stay here and make sure that things actually work out because I am called and committed to this church. Brothers and sisters, I believe Ruth offers us three brief reminders as we live into this threshold season. The first is a reminder to cut down space and cling to one another. That's what I see when I read verse 14. Naomi has just told her daughters, her daughters-in-law, go away from me. Like, leave me. I don't deserve to be here with you. And they begin to weep aloud. And then one of her daughters-in-law kisses her and actually does what she says do. She walks away from her. We don't fault her for that. This is what Naomi has told her to do. But her other daughter-in-law, Ruth, in the midst of her tears, clings to her mother-in-law. And so I'm encouraging us that in this time of transition, we would close the space between one another and begin to cling to one another. How do we do that at Sanctuary? You heard Pastor Mike talk a little earlier about life groups. Friends, we don't offer life groups because we don't assume you have, don't have enough to do. We don't look at your lives and say, yeah, they're not busy enough. Nah, they have soccer practice and rehearsals and kids in school and they live other places, but they're not doing enough. We don't offer those things because we don't think you're busy. We offer them because we know that something special happens when people who would otherwise not be in community together decides to remove the space between them and get into community. We love that you're here on Sunday mornings. You look great, by the way. God bless you. You look great. But something special happens when you get outside these roles and get into circles. I believe circles are always better than roles, especially when it comes to donuts. Circles are always better than roles. When we turn to face one another, 
we actually begin to see one another. We can ask each other the hard questions and give each other space to answer. We can care for one another in circles. We, we can hear from one another. We can get on each other's nerves. We can forgive each other. We can love each other. We can care for one another's kids. Circles are better than roles. And that's why we invite you into life groups over and over and over again. Our lives were never meant to be lived in isolation. Not only do we offer you life groups, we invite you into ministry teams, not just because we want to keep you busy. But when you're serving together with another person, you can't help but get to know them. You, you learn their personality, their likes and dislikes, the things that they're strong at and their growth areas. And so we invite you into teams so that you might build community and get to know somebody beyond their name. We're always inviting you as a church to get to know each other. Don't rush out after service. Grab some of those holy check mix in the lobby and, and spend time getting to know each other. That's why we do it. So that you would not be a room full of strangers, but that we might move towards being family. So let's cut down on the space in this season. Let's be intentional about getting to know one another. And let's cling to one another. Even when it would be easier to like give up on that relationship, when you've texted that person two or three times and they haven't said yes to that coffee date yet, keep doing it. Don't give up. Let's be more resilient about building community here at Sanctuary. Here's the second reminder. Let's identify closely with one another. Let's, let's identify closely with one another. Here's verse 16 and verse 17. But Ruth replied to Naomi, don't urge me to leave you or to turn back from you. Where you go, I will go. And where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die. And there I will be buried. May the Lord deal with me, be it ever so severely, even if death separates you and me. That's deep. That's not casual. Here's what I know about myself. I like everybody, but then I have people. Like, I, I, I try to get along with everybody. I'll talk to strangers wherever I am. But there's another level where I have my people. And if, Joseph, you want to come up for a second? If I uh, meet somebody, I, I can like them, and I'll probably greet them like this. How you doing, man? God bless you. All right. All right. Yeah. But if I meet you and you're my people, that's a different experience. It might go something like this. How you doing, boy? What's up now? How your mama doing? All right. See? And he does me just like that all the time. He's like, calm down, Pastor E. Come. I have people I like, and then I have my people. I want to invite us to all become each other's people. Hashtag my people. I want to know you, and I want you to know each other. I want you to really love one another beyond just saying sanctuary is my church home. How many people do you really know in this room? I believe something incredible can happen that in a season of transition, we might actually become tighter as a community. I get the opportunity to travel around the country uh, to ministry events, and when people hear that I'm from Sanctuary, 
They get excited. Our, our church has an incredible reputation around the country. I don't know if you knew that. People want to hear what's going on at Sanctuary because we're doing something unique. And I like that people outside like us. I care more that we like each other. <laughs> so let's become hashtag my people and let's do something crazy and draw closer to one another, even in a season of transition. Here's the last reminder that I think Ruth gives us. Accept the kindness of other people. Let other people care for you. Verse 18 says, When Naomi realized that Ruth was determined to go with her, she stopped urging her. After pushing Ruth away over and over again, finally Naomi says, all right, you can love me. I want to speak specifically to my black brothers and sisters in this room. Sanctuary can be a hard place for us to be. There's a high cost to attending sanctuary as an African-American person. And I'm not saying it doesn't cost other people groups anything, but I'm talking about, I, I know for a fact that there is a cost to continuing to be here. When the world is constantly sending you messages that you are worthless, that you should be suspicious, that cops are being called on you for selling lemonade or barbecuing in the park, being in a black church is a balm for your soul. Because everybody in that room affirms the basics of your identity. And for us to not be in a church like that, but be committed to sanctuary and believe, sanctuary can also be a place that does that. There's a cost that comes with that. And I've seen many of us come here with good intentions, but grow suspicious and wonder when a person reaches out to me, do they really want to get to know me? Or do they just want me to be their black friend? Brothers and sisters, I want to invite you to accept the kindness of others. To risk and open yourselves up and trust that somebody legitimately does want to bless you. That you can, here at Sanctuary, be affirmed in your basic identity. And that this can be the kind of church you need Sanctuary to be as well. Friends, I, I believe God is doing something special, even in our transition time. I believe, and, and when I say I believe, I'm not talking about like in a wishy-washy kind of way. I, I really deeply believe with all the faith that I have that we can grow as a church, even during a transition. I believe that we can grow in our kindness towards one another. I believe we can grow in our, our commitment to the mission and vision of this church. I believe that we can grow in number. I believe that we can grow in the ways that we connect with one another. I believe that we can grow in the ways that we serve in the places where we use our gifts. I believe that we can grow in all sorts of ways, even during a period of transition. It does not have to be a period where many of our people slip away. God has not left us. Our mission and vision did not move. And my hope, brothers and sisters, 
is that you will choose to turn to one another and grow even during this period of transition. And I want to change it, especially in this season of transition. Here's what the Apostle Paul says. Eyes have not seen, nor have ears heard, neither has it entered into the hearts of man what God has in store for those who love him. Sanctuary, let's trust God again. And let's turn to one another and let's watch God blow our minds, even in this threshold season. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for who you are. Thank you that we have been together and that you have called us together. That we're not here by accident. That you have been at work, God, the entire time drawing us to this space. Now, God, we get to live as the people of God together. So we ask that you would guide us in that, that you would help us to see opportunities to connect with others, and that you would help us to grow in an uncommon kindness that the world might look at us and see you. Father, I pray for my brothers and sisters who are in this room who have been at sanctuary for many, many years, and they've tried this before. Perhaps they've failed time and time again. God, I ask that you would give them special grace to do it once more. And I pray that this season would be different. God, I pray for those who are brand new to sanctuary, who are wondering, is this a place for me? Can I be here? And can I find people here? God, I pray that you would open the ways for them to connect. And God, where we've fallen short in this area in the past, we beg your forgiveness. We ask you, God, to blow our minds, even in a transition period. You are good. Your mercy endures forever. We love you, Father. So have your way in this place. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.